We come to week seven of our sermon series on being holy. Who could have ever thought you could come up with that many sermons about holiness? But it just keeps unraveling and it keeps unpacking. And the more I study about holiness and the more I try to practice being holy as a Christian, the more I learn. And I've come to realize that this is a life lesson that we'll be learning until we meet Jesus, until we are completed. But as we are in week seven, I wanted to kind of give us a recap of where we've been, where we are, and hopefully where we're going. And number one, the term holy means to be set apart. A lot of times when we hear the word holy, we think of maybe uh, maybe a priest in, in very elaborate garb saying words that we don't understand, or we think of of things that are unattainable, but holiness simply means to be set apart for God's purpose. Do you feel God calling you closer to Himself? Do you hear Him calling you to be holy? And do you want to know that there is more to life than just existing? Wouldn't you want to find out what purpose God has for your life today? We find that out by pursuing holiness. Also, the second thing is, we must take our sins seriously. We are quick in our culture to go into a mode of sin management, which is not biblical. A sin management that says, well, my sin is not as bad as someone else's sin, or or my sin is not hurting anyone, or uh, I am not sinning, I am only responding because I am a victim, because somebody did something to me. Folks, when we sin, we must take it seriously. And also, holiness. This is not just a a cute sermon series. Holiness and being holy is a big deal to God. Okay? And then also we see that holiness is God's provision, but our responsibility. God provided the means for us to be holy through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. So our responsibility is to live a holy life. Also, we have learned that the battle for holiness is fought in our hearts. That the battle for holiness is fought in our hearts because God created us with a heart that needs saving. Folks, all of us need a Savior. Just like they say, every watch demands a watchmaker. Every design demands a designer. That's like I was reading the other day and um, they say now that the new iPhone 7 is going to come out and it's going to be all glass. Isn't that the thing that breaks the easiest on a phone? But anyway, they have got people way smarter than me designing a new iPhone that is all glass. Someone has to know what they're doing. Every design demands a designer. The fact that you look at yourself and you are are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you, you've got fingers and toes and two eyes and a nose and two ears, all of these things you have, it demands the fact that we are, we are specifically made. And also that God created us and that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. That is not a feeling. That is a fact. That Christians are dead to their sins And believers, your sins can influence you today. But do not be fooled. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you sin, you sin because you want to. 
You sin because you desire to. You sin because it's your choice. So I began this series with a tagline that says, Becoming all that God has created you to be. Folks, this whole process of holiness doesn't just happen. It's not like you you put yourself in a spiritual microwave and punch up 30 seconds, then all of a sudden you have a a warm ham sandwich or or popcorn or whatever you want. I mean, it, it takes time. It's a process that we all sign up for. So the thing is about holiness is it's not a bar that we need to set so high that it causes us to not even try. We do not need to think that we will never be holy, so why should I try? We are holy because God makes us holy. Amen? We are holy because God makes us holy. He is the one that has set that bar high, but he is the one who gives us the push to overcome it. So holiness is not a bar so high that we need to not try, but it's also not a bar so low that we can just discount and become apathetic to. So if we're going to live a holy life, there's a few things that we need to know today. I'm going to go into in just a moment four questions that can help us live a holy life. But before we get that, I kind of want to prime the pump, so to speak, and talk about the first thing is that living a holy life, whose responsibility is it for you to live a holy life? It's yours. It's not your preachers. It's not your parents. It's not your your Bible study teachers. It's not your deacons. It's not your boss. It's not... Uh, the preacher on TV, you take responsibility for your own spiritual walk. At some point, as as parents are raising their child, they teach the children about the Lord, and at some point, they come to an age of accountability to where they can decide whether they are going to follow the Lord or not. And then on from that, uh, they are on their own spiritual walk. But living a holy life is our responsibility in I've heard the term, I've even preached a sermon called, Let Go and Let God. Amen. You ever heard that one? Come on now. If you've got something that's, that's, that's hurting you, that's, that's, that's hanging on to you, just let go and let God. Well, yes and no. There's a lot of truth in that, that we do not need to try to think that we can fix things in and of ourselves. But I want you to know something. When we talk about holiness, Holiness is more than just letting go and letting God. Holiness is an action. Holiness is an action that we must take. Paul talks about it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, therefore, and underline this phrase, put to death. Your translation may say something different, but it says, therefore, put to death. That is the action required for holiness. Putting to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Folks, day by day, minute by minute, second by second, we must decide to take actions that honor God rather than grieve Him. Folks, every time we choose to fulfill our own desires, we are saying yes to our sinful desire. And no to God. I don't know any way to sugarcoat that. We, we can tie a bow around it. We can call it some other big word. But when we choose to sin, we are choosing sin over God. And Paul is saying to the church of Colossus, he's saying, put that tendency to death. 
And when he says put it to death, in other words, he's, the, the, word, the phrase put to death means think of kidnapping or subduing or overtaking. Is that when those thoughts come in, when those desires come in that are contrary to God's word, you have to, you have to overtake it. You have to decide not to do that. Because our sinful nature is bent on doing one thing. You know what sin does? Let me ask you this. Can Satan and, and can evil create anything? No. The only thing that Satan can do, the only thing that evil can do, is take what God has created it and twist it for evil desires. God made that fruit that Adam and Eve ate. But Satan twisted it to satisfy their desires. When you think about sexuality, it was something that God created for a man and a woman to enjoy in marriage. Folks, it's an act of worship when it is done under the guise of the Scriptures. But Satan has taken it and twisted it. When it comes to communicating with others, when it comes to worship, when it comes to our self-deeds, a lot of times God has created us. He's given us emotions that when they are unchecked, they turn into sinful desires. Drugs that are designed to make us better can become an addiction for someone and ultimately end their lives. Food that is supposed to give us health can now kill us. Now people have become so brazen to shake their fist at God and say, God, you made a mistake. I know better. That is shaky ground to be on. Because, yes, to choose to go your way rather than God's way, when you choose to not pursue holiness and to pursue your sinful desires, whether it be cheating on a test, whether it be telling a lie, whether it be whatever addiction you got or whatever thing you got in your mind, whatever hit you got, you get along. Whatever problem you've got, when you decide to cater to that, you're saying, God, I do not need you. When we take it upon ourselves. That is the biggest roadblock to holiness. So, Also, it's more than just letting go, letting God. It's the action of, of deliberately putting to death those desires. The second thing is that to know what God wants and to do it. Or excuse me, to know what God wants us to do and not do it. What does James call that? He calls that sin. If you know what's right, if you know what God's Word says about something, and you say, eh, not going to do it, James says this to you. It says, So it is sin for the person who knows what to do, what is good, and doesn't do it. Folks, we can study the Scriptures. We can listen to sermons. We can fill our music players with every gospel song imaginable. We can sing, we can praise, we can talk with our friends about the holiness of God. We can all go to a coffee house downtown and we'll get a big table and we'll get a big old cup of coffee and we'll talk about the eloquence and the, and the theology and the doctrine behind the holiness of God. But if we do not apply it, if we do not put to death that sinful desire, if we do not pursue holiness, we live in sin. To know what is good and to not do it is sin, according to James. Yes, God is worthy of our praise. I have enjoyed every note that was struck today. And 
and the prayers and the greeting. We, we all enjoy the worship. Is God worthy of that? Absolutely He is. But you know what He's more worthy of? Your devotion. Your decision to put to death your evil desire to pursue holiness. And folks, again, when I preach this, I'm not pointing at you. i got three fingers pointing back at me. Holiness is something that your preacher has to do. Pursue. Holiness is something that your grandmother has to pursue. Holiness is something that, that the most spiritual thing, person you can think of in the world has to do. But to do that, the Holy Spirit must give us the power. And He does give us the power to, to pursue holiness. But bottom line, at the end of the day, we must do the work. Let's say everybody just applied for a job at a, at a warehouse and you're going to be a forklift driver. Any on how to drive a forklift? we got a couple. All right. I mean, it's a lot harder than it looks. But let's say, okay, you are going to be a forklift driver, and you go to school, and they send you to forklift school. It's got its ups and downs. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Anyway, you, you go to forklift school, and they, they show you the forklift, they show you what the controls do. They let you sit in it and beat the horn. And they, they do everything that, that there is to do about learning how to drive a forklift. And then you get a piece of paper that says, oh, well, hey, you can officially drive the forklift. But if you never drive the forklift, what's the use? Folks, we can talk about holiness. We can pray about holiness. We can, oh, holy, 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 open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's all I'm going to do, don't worry. But we can sing it, man, can't we? Oh, get right to the, the edge of heaven on those psalms. But then live like hell the rest of the week. We have to make sure that holiness is not a song. We have to make sure that holiness is not a state of mind. Holiness is a brash tax fact that we pursue our sinful desires or we pursue God. And to pursue God in holiness, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the forklift, folks, that can lift us. We have the forklift. God shows us, here's the manual on how to drive the forklift. But folks, we have to literally get in the forklift and, and work levers and use it. So what are, the, what are the, the levers, what are the switches that we need to pull to get the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to pursue holiness? Well, it's two things. Number one, it is to have a conviction. A conviction. We can have a general conviction of the fact that means that you know, you have a conviction that I'm going today to start living a holy life. I'm going to pursue holiness. And that's good. And that's fine. But what are the specific goals? You have a generic conviction, but you also have specific convictions, which means honoring God in specific and tangible ways. Yeah, I, I am a firm believer in, you know, it's not important that I make every point, and I hope by the end of the, the morning here, you will have at least learned one thing. And then when you walk away from this place, you've got at least one thing that you can work on or start working on when you leave. Because 
we need to have specific convictions. It's not enough to say that I am going to live a holier life without taking any action to do that. We must have specific convictions. We must be careful about what we let come into our eyes, what we come into our ears, what we come out of our mouths. For example, specific convictions could be what's on your internet browser history? What if someone recorded your phone conversations? Which they're probably doing that anyway. What about your attitude towards others? What about the content of your favorite TV show and your DVR and your TiVo and all these other things? Would God, could you sit down with Jesus and watch all your TV shows? Do these areas reflect specific spiritual convictions? Let me ask you this. In pursuit of holiness, do you have any convictions? Because nowadays, convictions are are getting less and less and less because everybody's trying to water them down so that everybody can be whatever they want to be. But when we say we love Jesus, that means we will honor and obey Him. When we sign on the dotted line and say, Jesus, come into my heart, we're going to pursue holiness, that means that we're going to love Him and obey Him. John 14, 21 says this. It says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. How are people going to know you love Jesus when you keep His commands? How is Jesus going to know you love Him when you keep His commands? We can only obey God when we know the Scriptures. Folks, if you want to keep His commands, you've got to know them, right? They don't download in your head when you sleep, do they? Boy, I wish they did. But no, like a farmer toils the ground and plants seed. We have to take scriptures. We have to read the Word. We have to memorize the Word. And if you say that's not important, I would challenge you with this. You're riding down the road and you're listening to a song that came on when you were in high school. I bet you remember every stinking word of it. And you remember memories of, of people you were around when you heard that song. And we can go back. That's Why do you think they have classic rock or classic music or, or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 40s or the roaring 20s or whatever it may be? Why we have, you know, you get on your, your, your satellite radio and they got like a million channels. You can listen to whatever you want. And it's amazing. Like songs have come on. And I'm like, how in the world do I remember every word of that? Get this song out of my head. I'm going to do something very mean now. Are you ready? Don't break my heart, my achy, breaky heart. I just don't think I'll understand, or it'll understand. You're going to think about that song the rest of the day. You're welcome. One way you can get rid of that is to go and say, you know what? Instead of remembering that, I'm going to remember scriptures. Because I'm going to tell you what, when you're in the heat of it, and you don't have this book with you, achy breaky heart, it's not going to put it back together. God's word is going to put it back together. You want to live a holy life, you've got to know what to live. You've got to know what the convictions to have. You've got to know what to do. You want to drive a forklift, you've got to know what the levers do. Okay? And then also, we see that when you and I sin, it's because we choose to Taking the decision to not sin is our responsibility, but we can do that in God's strength. So, here we come to the four questions that you can use to live a holy life. This is what I've built as the title 
this is the main point. So if you want to write down these questions, if you want to try to, to, uh, to make these apply to your life, I hope they will. But you and I have no problems in making decisions for holiness when it comes to the biggies, like murder, stealing, adultery, lying. But what about those areas where the Bible is not black and white, but it's more of a charcoal gray? Because there are gray areas in the Bible, right? But gray areas in the Bible are not proof that the Bible is inadequate. Sometimes there are gray areas in the Bible because, quite frankly, God wants us to depend upon Him for the interpretation of that. But, for example, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, what? Complete. Equipped for every good work. Here's the four questions. The first one is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Actually, the first two questions are based on this verse. 1 Corinthians 6.12 Everything is permissible for me, Paul was saying, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. The first question that you need to ask yourself in living holiness is, will this decision help me physically, spiritually, and mentally? Or Physically, mentally, and spiritually. Will this decision help me in one of these three ways? If the Bible doesn't specific, I mean, if it specifically says it, you obviously know the answer. But in those gray areas where people have, they go to the book, not the book of, of God's Word, but they go to the book of opinions. A lot of people like to go to that. They go to the book of opinions and preferences. Will this be helpful physically, spiritually, or mentally? In other words, when I make this decision, how will it affect my health? Will this decision that I make draw me closer to God or further away from Him? And what frame of mind will this decision put me in? The second question, will this decision empower me or overpower me? Will this decision empower me or overpower me? Folks, it's, it's not just about the bad things. I mean, you know, we could talk about smoking, drinking, dipping, and, and every other kind of, of bad habit. Look, that, that's another sermon for another time. But, but the thing is, is that will those things, will those habits honor God? And will they benefit you? And will they empower you? You know the truth. And I know the truth. Whether it be an addiction to a substance. A substance could be food. Whatever it is, does it empower you or does it overpower you? If it overpowers you, I think you know the decision that you need to make. The third question is based on 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. It says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. What he was talking about here, he was talking about there were those in the church that felt like that if uh, someone were to eat the meat of sacrificed idols, that that was wrong. So Paul said, 
Rather than to cause one of my brothers or sisters to stumble, I will choose not to do it. Probably the best illustration I can give for me personally is that of drinking. I'm sure if we were to have a surprise inspection and I got uh, my friend Guido, who's my enforcer on Sunday mornings, to go to your house and sneak through your house and look into your refrigerators and other places, you might find stuff that you don't want the preacher to know about. And that's, that's okay. But the thing is, is that, that when it comes to drinking, there's no way in the Bible, for example, that says, thou shalt not drink. It says, don't be drunk. And I'm not condoning drinking. I've never had anyone in a family, I've never had a kid come to me and say, you know what, James, I wish my dad would drink more. I've never had somebody say, boy, he's a really great person when he's drunk. No. Again, will the decision to drink empower you or overpower you? But the point I'm trying to make with this is that, I don't know about you, but, but I have no desire to do this, but if I were to say, you know, I love Wings, chicken wings, chicken wings with everything, right? And I go to chicken wings, and what if I were to say, you know what? I'm just going to get a nice cold beer today. And sure enough, Sister Hazel from the First Righteous Church would walk in and see the preacher there drinking a beer. And then, there you go. Dude, I choose not to drink for a number of reasons. But the main one is, I don't want anything to overpower me. Number two, it's not beneficial for me or those around me. And number three, if someone were to see me do that, I know it would be detrimental to their faith. That's why I choose. And now, for that's just one illustration. That could go for many things that are gray areas in the Bible. I know some people, and they think this is an excuse. Preacher, I can't come to church because I smoke. Really? I don't see anywhere in the Scriptures where it says, Thou shalt not attend worship if thou smokes. Right now I said that, some of you in here are thinking about lighting up. But there again, that's a gray area. What works for you might not work for somebody else. The thing about the Bible is, when God clearly states something, discussion is over. But on things that are gray, that are depending upon preferences, when you are trying to live a holy life, you need to ask yourself, will this decision hurt others? Christians differ in their convictions, but they shouldn't force their convictions on others. I hear people all the time say, Preacher, you know, Jesus, he sang Southern Gospel. That's the only music that God allows is Southern Gospel. I got news for you. Southern Gospel is just Conway Twitty music with Christian lyrics. People, oh, preaching now, you're going to get on that music thing. You know, if it's got electric guitar in it, that's got to be the devil. No. There's good lyrics and positive lyrics with electric guitar or a bassoon or an accordion. It doesn't matter. Those are preferences. Some churches are even built around their music because of their preferences. I think what we ought to do, we ought to just build one big church in town and have a karaoke machine. And everybody can just hear what they want to hear. But it's preferences. You don't like rock music? Don't go to a rock music church. 
You like Southern Gospel? You like traditional music? Go to a traditional church. That's fine. But don't judge somebody that doesn't like that. It's preferences. It's gray areas. Then also we see that the fourth question would be from 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever, there again, there's that big word, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. The question you need to ask yourself is, will this decision give glory to God? Will this decision give glory to God? Our decisions that we make must be for the glory of God. Folks, the biggest lie that you can tell yourself and the biggest lie that anyone will say is that my sin only affects me so you don't need to worry about it. I don't know about you, but if I were to go down to the lake, Lake Succession down here or go over there to the, uh, the Broadway Lake and I were to take a pebble and everything was nice and smooth on the water, if I were to take a pebble and throw in it, ripples would start to affect not in one way or another way, but a perfect circle, wouldn't it? And it would affect everything. If a little lily pad's there, it'll start to shake. Folks, do not believe the lie that your sin only affects you. Maybe in immediate, the immediate right now, maybe that's the truth. But our sin always affects other people. Not only, I, I told you when you are, you're trying to to define holiness in your life. You need to have convictions. But the second thing you need to have is a conscience. Folks, if your conscience is troubled by what you consider, don't do it. If keeping your conscience clear so your relationship with God will not be hindered, that's what we need to do. And also, that decision you make, will it be detrimental to your body? How about the decision you make? Will it give you an opportunity to share the gospel with others? Last but not least, when it comes to all this, it's our responsibility, it's our decision. I've given you four questions to ask yourselves in making decisions to live a holy life. And the last, I would say this, in holiness, commit or quit. In pursuing holiness, commit or quit. Revelation 3, 15, 16, very famous passage. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea. And he says, Jesus to the church of Laodicea, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. If we make a poor attempt and a haphazard attempt at living a holy life, it turns Jesus' stomach. Now, it's like this. When I say a commitment to holiness, it does not mean that you're going to be perfect. But it also doesn't mean, I'm going to try to do better. We talked about the war today. We talked about soldiers. Do you think any soldier in their training and when they get deployed, they think, my goal today is just to, to, to not get hit by bullets too much. You think that's what they think? No. They think my prerogative is to go out here and come back and not take one bullet at all. 
Folks, if for us to say, God, I'll, I'll try to do better, there is no commitment in that. Folks, you're either going to live a holy life and pursue holiness, or you're not. There is no point in praying for holiness if you are not willing to make the commitment to pursue it. Think of an athlete training for a big event. There's lots of work. There's lots of disciplines in the way that they eat and their time management. And they probably even have some failures. But at the end of the day, they keep trying. So when you, when you commit and say, I am going to live a holy life, I want you to understand it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it means when you get down, you get back up. And when you get knocked down again, you get back up. When you make a bad decision, you own it and keep going. That's what holiness is. And finally, last but not least, we need to be holy because God is holy. Emphasis on the word be. Commit or quit. Be holy or don't be holy. Quit. Uh, if, if you're undecided about wanting to pursue holiness, just do yourself a favor and quit because you'll be much happier for a moment. But if you decide, I am going to pursue holiness, that is a commitment that you make, not just this morning, but every day, every minute. Be holy. Why do we need to do that? Because God is holy. Let's pray.